We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 31 this morning. Jeremiah 31. And I'll be reading verses 4 through 10 and then 38 through 40. Jeremiah 31, uh, starting at verse 4. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman, and she who is in labor together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who, is scattered, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Then let's skip forward to verse 38. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be built for the Lord, from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, and the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill Garib, and, and shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be uprooted or overthrown there anymore, anymore forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Pray that you'll speak to us this morning, that you'll encourage us, remind us of who, who you are and what you're doing in us and uh, throughout the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I received an email once from a man in Peru asking for some literature in English. And I said, uh, I'm glad to help you, but why in English? And he said, well, I'm leading a Bible study with a group of people from India. In Peru, uh, excuse me, in Chile, many Peruvians are crossing the border looking for a better job there. I received another email from a girl from Albania uh, asking this time for uh, courses to study in Spanish. And I said, why in Spanish? She said, well, uh, I learned Spanish because my pastor is from Central America. Uh, if you've been to Spain and visited any church there, you know that there are thousands and thousands of immigrants from Latin America. Many of them are evangelicals, and many of the uh, Protestant churches in Spain are full of Latin Americans. We could go on about what all the stories of people moving from one country to another. Uh, we see people walking across the continent of Europe. Uh, we see people traveling and moving from one country to another. 
what's God doing? I think our passage has something to tell us about that. He's moving people around. Uh, one author says that the Bible is like a mystery novel in this sense, that you read through the novel and you're trying to find out who did it. And when you finally find out who did it, you can look back. If it's well written, you can look back and see, yeah, here are the clues. If you're really good, you might be picking up on those clues all the way along. But most of us don't know until we see who did it, and we go back and we can see the clues. The Bible leaves clues about some things uh, all the way through. One of those mysteries of the Bible is the inclusion of the Gentiles and the fact that God is going to make His people uh, out of Gentiles from all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. And that was a bit of a mystery. But we see some clues to that here even in this chapter. In fact, all the way through the Old Testament we see clues to that. And this morning I want to look at three of those clues and then we're going to look at three responses to that uh, uh, mystery that is uh, mentioned here in this chapter. The first clue is in, cha in verse 8. Uh, ch uh, chapter 31, verse 8, uh, talking about the farthest lands. Uh, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. I don't know about you, but when I think of the history of Israel and people being brought back from exile, I almost always just think about the, the ones that came back from Babyl uh, Babylonia, uh, the two southern tribes, Judah. And they, they were brought back from uh, Babylon. Uh, but there were also people brought back from the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes uh, that had been captured by Assyria. Now that makes this passage even more interesting because who were the Israelites at this point? Because several hundred years had gone by since they were taken captive. And the Assyrians had this a really perverse plot to eliminate the identity of the Israelites and they had them intermarry so that they basically lost their identity. And that's where we get the Samaritans uh, that uh, were so hated by the Jewish people and they hated the Jewish people. That was the mixture that they had made. So after all this time bringing those people back, who were they? <laughs> they weren't probably exactly all pure Jews. And we see uh, mentioned here in these verses uh, the lame and the pregnant woman and uh, the blind. So I think it's more than just uh, geography that, that they're talking about here. The farthest lands uh, are, are people that are far from God, uh, all kinds of people. That's what he's talking about here. Um, then we go to verse 10, a second clue. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands, far away. Again, far away. But notice first, O nations. That's the goyim. That's the Gentiles. Uh, it's all through the Old Testament, but it's little clues here and there. The Gentiles will be included. Hear the word of the Lord, O Gentiles, and declare it in the coastlands far away. And finally, in verses 38 through 40, uh, we read about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And what I want to point out here is that uh, it's going to be built beyond the current uh, walls, beyond the current uh, limits that it had. Uh, it mentions the brook Kidron, uh, Kerib, Goa, the Valley of the Dead. Uh, 
the commentators aren't even sure where some of these places are anymore. But the point is clear that it's beyond the borders that Jerusalem had at that point. It makes me think of Revelation when we see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. How big is that? It's going to be about 1,300 miles cubed. Have you noticed that? <laughs> 1,300 miles long, 1,380 miles wide, and 1,380 miles tall? What is that? Uh, what is this city? Well, I mean, that's like half the size of the United States cubed, right? And I think it's talking about just how big it is. I don't know that this is necessarily an exact measurement. It's just saying this is big. This is really big. And I think also we see in Revelation 21, it's talking about the bride of Christ, the church. It's many people. The New Jerusalem is full of many people. So these prophecies back here were not just about uh, the physical earthly Jerusalem, the physical earthly Palestine, uh, the earthly temple. It never was, never was principally about that. Uh, we read in Hebrews that Abraham was looking for a city whose architect and builder was God and that they realized they were uh, just uh, pilgrims on earth. They were looking for a celestial city. So the important thing never was the physical earthly place. And all of these things are clues that God is going to extend His people beyond the nation, the political nation of Israel, beyond the borders of Palestine, beyond Jerusalem. He had this planned all along to extend His kingdom to all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. And that's what we're seeing now, more than ever before in history. You know, before, uh, just a couple hundred years ago, most of the Christians were in Europe, and, and now they're all over the world. There are more people uh, coming to Christ in Latin America and Africa and even Asian countries than ever before. Now, this, this plan to include the Gentiles is very important in the Bible, this idea of including the Gentiles and breaking down the wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, it's very important because it's the gospel message in history. Just like the Exodus was a, a drama to show us what salvation is, this is also the same thing. You know, uh, people came out of Egypt. They came out of slavery and went to the promised land. That's, that's a symbol of being uh, freed from our slavery to sin and being saved in Christ. And in the same way, the reconciliation between the Jews and Gentiles, including all kinds of people, uh, displays the gospel. Because what is the gospel? It's reconciliation. When, when Adam and Eve sinned and we fell, it broke all the relations. Broke our relation with God. It brought conflict between man and God. Conflict between man and his fellow man. Conflict between man and nature. Conflict between man and his own heart. And the gospel is that Christ reconciles us. He reconciles us to God. He reconciles us to our fellow man within ourselves. And, and finally, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, even, even uh, our conflict with nature, that will all be resolved. That's what Christ did. 
Salvation is reconciliation, beginning with our reconciliation with God. Jesus went to die on the cross so that we can be reconciled to God, but our salvation continues in further reconciliations in every aspect of life. So this inclusion of the Gentiles and breaking down that wall, it's a, it's a historical drama of the gospel. So those are the three clues here. What are our responses? I want to point out three responses in this chapter as well. Uh, first, look at verse 4. Um, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. <laughs> That's our response. Dance. Shout for joy. Verse 7. Sing and shout and praise God for what He's doing. You know, sometimes we, we Christians can be a little too serious and a little too... It doesn't seem like we're enjoying life sometimes. Uh, maybe he's a little too hard on us, but uh, Philip Yancey in Soul Survivor says, we're good neighbors. And uh, how do they see us as Christians? We're good, responsible neighbors, but sometimes they just don't enjoy being with us. I hope that's not true for you. Uh, uh, and I hope it's uh, exaggerated, but let's don't let that be true for anybody. We should be the ones that enjoy life more than anybody. Uh, what was Jesus' first miracle? At a wedding, enjoying a wedding, celebrating. He turned the water to wine. He was saying with that that uh, these dried up uh, Jewish traditions, uh, you know, represented by those dry, empty water, water pots, you know, that's, that's not what we want. We're filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, and let's celebrate that and enjoy that. Uh, I go to Ch uh, Cuba once in a while, and uh, I usually work with a denomination called Los Pinos Nuevos. But a couple of times I went and uh, taught classes to the Methodists. And these were not just any Methodists. These were Pentecostal-style Methodists. And, boy, I loved the music they had. They had Cuban rhythm to it, and they, and they were standing there and uh, kind of dancing around to the music like this, you know. And I'm kind of standing up there like a Presbyterian <laughs> professor. But as the days went along during the week, I started, you know, raising my hand, raising one hand and raising another. I'm moving around a little bit. By the end of the week, man, I'm really enjoying the worship service. And they're saying, look at the professor. Look at Professor Ramsey. And I was really enjoying that. Shouldn't we enjoy worshiping God? I'm not obligating anybody to raise their hands or dance. I'm just saying we should enjoy worship. Many Cubans say the most fun, and this is literally the most fun thing they do all week is go to church. The most fun thing they do is go to church. Now you might say, well, there's not much on TV down there, not much to do. Okay, yeah. But still, isn't that great? You know, wouldn't that be great if we could say the same thing? And sometimes we're kind of pessimistic about what's happening in the world. Now, there are reasons to be concerned. And I'm not naive. I know there's wars going on. I know Islam is growing. I know about ISIS. I know, I know. But are we only focusing on the problems? And are we forgetting who's in charge here? We act like we're losing this war sometimes. Are we losing the war? No, we're not. 
We know who wins, don't we? So why do we act like we're losing the war? Why do we act like the church is dying when it's not? It's growing. So let's focus on what God is doing and rejoice in that. In countries like Cuba and the Dominican Republic, the evangelicals doubled in the last 15 or 20 years. Cuba and China have an amazing growth rate, an amazing revival going on in some of those countries. <clears throat> countries like Nicaragua, the evangelicals are 40% of the population. And let me just ask you a more basic question. How do you see God? Do you see God as sad? Or do you see God as happy? Just think about that. Now, I'm a reserved, kind of a serious person. And you can just tell me, be happy, Richard. Well, that doesn't work. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, Richard. I know that's a Bible verse, but sometimes it just doesn't work. You know what works for me? When you tell me God is happy. And I believe He is. Do you believe that? Now, I know He's sad about sin. I know He's sad about the fall. But don't you think He knows what this plan is and what's going to happen here? He's taking care of this. So I believe that God is fundamentally a joyful being. He's fundamentally happy. And He knows we have the victory. So yes, sin produces sorrow in God as it should in us. And yet, God is fundamentally happy. And that makes me happy. <laughs> I hope it makes you happy too. Verse 5. The second response, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. To me, this means that our task is not just evangelism. It's also rebuilding the world, making the world a better place, all kinds of ministry. In theological terms, not just the Great Commission, but also the cultural mandate. Uh, when I was in Haiti, I visited, I, I stayed and taught on a a Baptist missionary compound about an hour up in the mountains. <clears throat> this place was amazing. Uh, they had such a wide ministry there. They had a church. They had a hospital. They had classes for a seminary. They had a restaurant right there beside the road. And they sold products to people driving down the road who would stop in. They had a zoo there. <laughs> they had a workshop where they taught people how to get jobs, uh, how to learn manual uh, labor so they could get a better job. And the one thing that really, really struck me was they had uh, a farm with little pine trees. Now, why would they do that? In Haiti, they have destroyed their trees, and as a consequence, their good soil. And so these Baptist missionaries are planting these pine trees, and they take them and give them to people, and they teach them how to move the soil around on the hillside, plant these pine trees that not only produce pine trees, but it holds the soil. I mean, that's a wonderful, well-rounded ministry. Uh, just like I said, plant vineyards. That, that's, they're planting pine trees there. In Honduras, our MTW missionaries have a mobile clinic, seminary, training program, ministry for street kids. I love to see that. I love to see such a wide uh, integrated ministry. Plant vineyards. Dance, plant vineyards, 
And in verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, uh, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Preach the message, preach the gospel in the coastlands far away. Now, there are different ways that we can be involved in preaching the gospel. Not everyone can go overseas to be a missionary. You can all pray. You can all support missions. But there are other ways to take the gospel. Just like in the time of the Reformation, the printing press was key. And they printed books and they just saturated Europe with, with literature. Uh, now what do we have? We've got the radio. We've got television. We've got the Internet. And as Richard Pratt says, this is, this is one of our greatest tools that God can use, just like he used the printing press back at the time of the Reformation. We can reach every corner of the world through the Internet, and we can use all kinds of uh, methods to teach the gospel. One of my discipleship books was translated into uh, the language of Vanuatu, uh, they told me it had been translated, I think it's Vislami, and I said, Vanuatu, where's that? I had to look it up on the map. It's about the exact opposite side of the globe from Jerusalem uh, where this prophecy was made. So books can go everywhere too. And as I mentioned, the internet, third mill, third millennium, has videos that are going to literally millions of people uh, around the world. I was in Puerto Chile, a few years ago, Again, a long ways from Jerusalem, right? Down at the very southern end of the Pan-American Highway and uh, about 30 people in the class. And I asked them how many had access to the Internet. This was probably uh, 12 years ago. And some of them lived on little islands off the shore. And I thought, I'll probably get about half the people here. But everyone raised their hand but one man. All of those people, even the ones that lived on the islands, had access to the Internet. So that's a, a very valuable tool that we have. But let me say this, that I think far away, again, is not just geography. It also means that we need to be reaching people that are far away from God, even though they're sitting beside you right now this morning or live next to you in your own neighborhood. I believe it's sort of ironic, sadly ironic, that... Uh, the Mideast now, where this prophecy was made and where Christ came, where the church began to grow, uh, uh, is mostly Islam now. And so those people are far away in a spiritual sense. But again, let's don't be too pessimistic. God is reaching um, Muslims around the world too. A lot of people in Iran, places that we would never expect. And I, that's what I love about it. God does this in ways that we would never plan, we would never expect, and it just shows that he's the one that's doing this. Third Millennium is translating their materials into Spanish, Russian, Chinese, and Arabic. Arabic, very important language. John Piper wrote a book, Don't Waste Your Life, and he talks in there about a couple who uh, retired early, and they go to live in, on, the, on the Gulf Coast of Florida, and they spend most of their time collecting seashells. <laughs> and he says, what are you doing with your life? Is that what you're going to do with your life? I hope not. Nothing wrong with collecting seashells, <laughs> but not to dedicate your whole life to that. Most of you are a lot younger than I am, have many years left 
even if you don't, what are you doing with your life? Let's make it count. We're involved in something big, and, and God is doing amazing things. And it's exciting to see what God is doing. So let's let him use us. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying you have to change your job. Uh, God needs people in all kinds and all walks of life. But do what you can to support this kingdom work because God is moving people around the world and God is extending his kingdom to all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. Let him use you. Just pray and ask him to use you, and he will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for reminding us who you are and what you're doing in the world. Forgive us for being so negative and pessimistic sometimes. Forgive us for thinking we're losing when we know really that you are winning. Forgive us for not enjoying life, for not dancing and praising you and rejoicing and shouting praising you. Uh, remind us, Lord, every day so that we can rejoice in Christ and our own salvation and do our part. Lord, touch our lives, touch each one here. Show each one of us how we can best serve you uh, to take the gospel message to the farthest parts of the earth. In Jesus' name.